Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome. It is time for another episode of Small Doses. You know, this podcast that keeps on casting. Uh, You know, these are great times to be talking about a bunch of different things, but I keep bringing us back because I literally feel like if I'm not constantly keeping a level of consciousness amongst y'all about what's going on in this country, then I'm going to be complicit in it just like overwhelming us like a tsunami that... We are not controlling and it, I I can't, I just can't be a part of that. Like I, I can't. Um, so here I am with side effects of being a co-conspirator. Now I want to remind everybody to, oh, sorry, before we even get into this, I want to make, I want to suggest and request that folks leave reviews. You know, we need some updated reviews on our uh, podcast so if you are sitting around someday and you're like, oh, I would just love to do something right now that can help somebody that's helped me, <laughs> but I don't want to get up, then use your Wi-Fi and you can leave a review for us uh, on iTunes or Stitcher or, or Spotify, et cetera, for Small Doses Podcast. You know, I've been really engorging myself with just the news of the day and because I want to make sure that I don't find myself completely blindsided with just the treachery and duplicitousness that these right wing and MAGA wing folks are continuing to rain down upon us. Um, And, you know, amongst the craziness that I've heard as of late is like 45 saying that he wants to abolish the Department of Education and like Marjorie just ridiculous green praying over this January 6th man while a group of people stand around her like hallelujah-ing, you know, just seeing the constant onslaught of just Republicans saying weird wildly just incorrect shit as it relates to a various number of things like this whole bill that, well, this whole act that just uh, came through the Senate, the inflation, uh, it's like the challenge inflation act or some shit like that. But within that act is the, the effort to lower the cost of prescription drugs. And like, I literally watched a Republican Senator try to say that that's going to be harmful in the long run because by lowering the cost of prescription drugs, it will, it will debilitate, um, scientists from being able to find a cure for the ailments that the drugs are helping. What, what are you talking about? 
And one of these drugs is insulin. And insulin is like ridiculously expensive in America in a way that it should not be. And even with this act, it doesn't mean that the cost of insulin is going to become lower anytime soon. I think these things don't get fully implemented until like 2026. Nonetheless, my point is that when we're looking at all these things, it makes us say, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to challenge this? How are we going to actively make ourselves useful? We talk about this all the time, ad nauseum. Like it's just constantly, constantly the topic of conversation. And, you know, for the people who are listening that consider themselves black people, the people that consider themselves um, people of color, like people who are not white, I feel like we are always looking to each other, looking to each other, looking to each other. And when we do have white people around us, we oftentimes very much like alleviate them of any real expectation, much in part because we're like, well, you know, in the history of things, uh, you know, you ain't really shown up like that. And when you do, you have to be mindful of the fact that it's kind of like an anomaly, when folks step outside of their white privilege space and allow themselves to, you know, step into the space of like actually helping folks. But the truth is we are in a different time. We have this internet. Folks have access to information more than they ever have before. And so there should be an expectation in a way that we haven't had before. Particularly also because like the rights that are being taken are not even just rights that are related to someone's ethnicity or their race. You know, when we see folks in Kansas decide to get it together and vote not to repeal safe abortion, it's because those are white women in that state who decided to actually vote for their sex and not for their husbands (laughs) and not for their political party. That's what that really is. So when we look at this group of people, we look at the people who are benefiting from white privilege in this country, we have to say, how do we identify folks that are actually going to be helpful? Now, the big word that people were throwing around for a long time is ally, right? Especially after George Floyd, there was a lot of people, I'm ally, I'm an ally, I'm an ally, I'm an ally. Well, we got to up the ante to co-conspirator. And that's what this podcast episode is about. Side effects of being a co-conspirator and identifying what the differences that is. And so if you're listening right now and you are a person who happens to be white, then you need to ask yourself, do I fit into this co-conspirator category by the end of this episode? If you do not, then you know that you need to get on the good foot. If you are somebody listening to this episode and you're listening for the sake of how to identify the white people around you, then this is also a litmus test for you to use. Okay? Let's get into a gem drop. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. <sighs> Ally versus co-conspirator. So when we look at the word ally, like that's a word that we've been hearing a long time at this point in this this context of like a white person who happens to be white. Somebody who basically is down with the squad and says, you know, I uh, I don't agree with racism. <laughs> oh, look at you, you know, who says, I believe that black people should have rights, etc. Here's the thing. Allyship is pretty benign in my opinion because it really just means that you have opinions and beliefs uh, that are based on facts and that are also based on ethics. And 
allyship at its basis, it really just means that you're not a terrible, shitty human with the psychosis of racism racking your brain and causing you, or, or the psychosis of greed causing you to move in a way that diminishes the actual, like, life of other people who don't look like you or think like you. Now, a co-conspirator is somebody who has all of that, but then also behind it has action. And I think to me, that's the biggest difference. One might say, well, if this ally has a nonprofit and that nonprofit helps people of color, et cetera, et cetera, then does that make them a co-conspirator? Well, the question becomes, how How far are they they willing willing to go? Because if they're only willing to go as far as, well, this makes us look good, then they're not a co-conspirator. The co-conspirator is willing to put themselves in a situation where their privilege is no longer being supported or applauded, where they're basically forfeiting their access to protection because of their complexion. And we have seen this in history. When we saw those people who happened to be white that were joining the Freedom Rides in Mississippi in that deadly summer, those were co-conspirators. Those weren't just people that were sitting at home saying, man, it's crazy what they're doing to those black kids. That's foul, isn't it? That's an ally. You're an ally because you are able to identify that is not okay. Okay, that's not okay. I might even go as far as to say an ally is somebody who's like in a store and if they see some whack shit, it will be like, hey, that's not cool, right? Like if they see some racist shit, they hear somebody say to someone else, like you need to stop speaking Spanish and go back to your country. An ally would be like, you need to cut it out. That's ridiculous. That's an ally. But the co-conspirator is going to make sure that that conversation does not continue and will even go the extra distance to go to the manager and say, this person needs to be escorted out the store. The ally has gotten, has had it really good in the past few years in the sense that it's become a word that I think people are assigning themselves, right? Like I'm an ally. I'm an ally because I'm like helping black people. But I think one of the biggest differences is that an ally is still looking at black folks as like an other. Not as different, but as an other. They're still in their minds identifying black folks as like this group of people that is like downtrodden and that really is in need of savioring. And not just black people, but every, anybody who's not white. They're in need of savioring. And that's the tricky part of allyship is when you see that somebody who thinks they're an ally is really just somebody who thinks they're a savior. And all they're doing is the antithetical of these people who think they're God because they have created the same savior complex, but with people who look like them. Because that's what these MAGA folks are doing. Some of them want money, but some of them just want dominance. They just want to feel like they're God. So they have these like cult followings that they feel like they can rule. Look at this Alex Jones guy who had all these people harassing and just really creating an already horrible life that these parents at Sandy Hook had to live knowing their child was murdered, had had his own fans creating an even worse life for these people simply because he really enjoyed the fact that he could control the minds of these people. He had a sick fucking, this is my theory, he had a sick fucking fantasy about it and kept it going even though he knew, he admitted now, he knew it was false. That's what that is. 
And I feel like when we see certain allies, when they are actively, you know, helping, et cetera, they are also having a godlike complex. So you got to watch that. The co-conspirator doesn't have that. The co-conspirator knows what's up. The co-conspirator knows that this is a game. The co-conspirator knows that this has been, you know, put in the works and deployed and that they are being used in the same way. The co-conspirator is showing up and showing out and not in a way that overpowers or overbears the folks that are there, the oppressed folks that are there, but in a way that supports and empowers, you know, when we look at the Panthers, the Panthers have white folks that came up in there like, yo, how can we help? Now, they're not there to, again, overpower, but they're there to empower. They're there to bolster. Now, now more than ever, we need those types of folks. We need those types of co-conspirators. We need people who are going to make it their business to get out there and be in the fray. And I don't think that there really is enough of a movement yet. I am trying my best to really say to folks, this is what we need, but also know that this ain't going to be the land of protecting white tears. And I feel like folks have an issue with that because they're like, well, how are you going to ask folks for help? But then, you know, make fun of them or, you know, then, you know, try and talk shit about white people. And I'm like, because the one number one key of a co-conspirator is that they do not identify themselves with whiteness. They understand that there is a white supremacist grid. There is a white supremacist ethos that identifies them as white, but they themselves do not. So. When you talk about all of the fuck shit that white people are doing, they don't say not all white people because they know that there's more than enough white people to do it. And they also know that they are not those people and that those people need to be stopped. When you make a joke about white folks, they are also aware that that joke is not a slight on them. That joke is a slight on the system that has created a scenario where this joke can come out of. So when we look at allies and we look at co-conspirators, we have to once again remember that we're looking at a society that really decided who gets to be where and who's called what, et cetera, et cetera. And in order for us to undermine that society, we have to determine the tools for how we're going to get that dismantling to happen. Audre Lorde had said the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, which is why we then have to identify on our own who and what and how and have our own terminology and have our own methods and our own efforts. And so when we talk about co-conspirators, that's what I'm talking about. The people who are sitting down at the table with us to identify those efforts and have no problem putting themselves on the line to get there. We're serving it. 
This week, we're talking about side effects of being a co-conspirator. A co-conspirator is uh, the next level up from an ally, okay? It is really the people who are getting access to white privilege, but they are absolutely understanding that they have to be at the core and front lines of dismantling it. First question, someone asked, what is white privilege? And, you know, I think that actually that's something that we need to point out before we even go into what uh, is the actual meaning of a co-conspirator. The person deleted their question, but that doesn't matter. I'm still going to answer it. White privilege is the privilege that you experience from being considered white in a system that prioritizes and favors whiteness as the preferential race. So there's a myriad of ways that shows up, but that is the most easiest way to define that. In that myriad of ways, it can be in the way the institution deals with you as it regards to social justice, as it regards to criminal justice, as it regards to sentencing. It could mean in the way that the media deals with you in regards to representation, in regards to how you are portrayed within entertainment, and then a whole bunch of shit in between, okay? Whole bunch of shit in between. So that is white privilege. Here's a great question. Next question. What is the main motivation for being a co-conspirator? I think the main motivation for being a co-conspirator is really just ethics and integrity. I think a co-conspirator is somebody who truly, truly believes in fairness and injustice and who truly believes that they can't feel good about existing in a world where everyone is not free. The co-conspirator signs up because they absolutely understand that their role is going to be helpful is going to be helpful in the fight against oppression simply by nature of the fact that they benefit from privilege and protection in so many ways. But they also know that there's a certain level of possibility that they are putting themselves at risk and in danger by even stepping into that space. You know, this is the thing. It's uh, so many people consider themselves allies, but would be very quick to step back and put a sign down if they knew that they were in danger in some type of way bodily or even simply just financially, right? They would not continue to set themselves up in that way if they knew that it was going to get in the way of their um of their personal and career goals. So I think the I think when it boils down to it, the main motivation of a co-conspirator is somebody who genuinely has a good soul and spirit and is not going to be at rest with not showing that and not showing up, knowing that there is so much at stake for folks if they don't. And I don't think that makes them a savior. It doesn't make them a savior. That doesn't make them trying to be a white savior. It just makes them clear. They're clear on what this is, okay? And in order to be clear on what this is, you have to know the scope, how the scope looks at you and how you look at yourself in the scope of things. And that's tough for some people. That's very, very tough for some people. 
So we are sitting here right now in this episode of Small Doses. Shout out to everybody listening. You know, make sure you download and subscribe. I love doing DMTs because I love getting to hear your thoughts and, you know, what you guys think. You know, earlier in the episode, I explained the difference between allies and co-conspirators. But there really is a question people are like you know what about another name for co-conspirator i mean i guess you can find another name for co-conspirator some people call them accomplices (laughs) you know what i mean but at the end of the day i think that it really boils down to just making sure that we identify a whole other set of of people that have a whole other level of expectations so that they're not just thinking that they can just show up in one way and get access or or even alleviate themselves of um obligation or responsibility by simply just saying I'm an ally. And I think that's what a lot of people think. A lot of people are like, well, uh, you know, as long as I don't believe in lynching, I'm an ally. And it's like, there's a large, broad spectrum between being a just basic individual in the world and someone who is actually fighting for good in the world. Okay. So someone asked, uh, this is uh, Ty Brooks asked, in what ways can a co-conspirator appropriately participate in a cause? I feel like there's a number of ways. So it can be by providing financial support, providing physical support. I think a co-conspirator at the end of the day is someone who is there to be supportive of the cause without disrupting the cause with their privilege. And I think that's the key, right? I mean, we have all seen, I don't know if anybody knows about this site, um, No White Saviors. So there was this, there was this Instagram page called No White Saviors, okay? And on No White Saviors, they talked a lot about how like these, in, these, uh, Uh, these adoptions that were going on in, I believe it was in Uganda, how many of them were through missionaries and they were really like taking kids from people. And it was very uh, predatory. They were also talking quite a bit about how, you know, these missions go to Uganda and how these missions themselves are predatory in terms of the way that they go after the Ugandan people and utilize their resources and their spaces, et cetera, et cetera, really to just feed their own like self-indulgent, you know, Christian mission, but it's not for the people, it's for them. And again, they're simply just using the black people to advance their own personal sense of like godliness. And it's like, these, these people didn't even ask you to come out here, but no white saviors would also post just quite a bit of content about just the ways in which allies ship gets distorted and how, you know, folks are really just using movements, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the irony of this is that one of the people involved in the white saviors was a white woman who it turns out was apparently like misappropriating funds. And when she got called on it, when she got called on it by her, like, you know, black, uh, black board members flipped. Yes. Y'all flipped. Flipped was like stealing the money and then blocking them out and then like trying to put out posts in her defense that sounded real crazy. I mean, it was truly, truly wild. Okay, truly, truly wild. And it was one of these things where you're just like, now, see, here we go. Here's another example where we see that there was somebody who was showing up literally on a page called No White Saviors. And when it turned out that she was getting called out for her behavior, she absolutely flipped on everybody and showed her ass to not be a co-conspirator, but to have simply just been someone trying to use this space to make herself feel like she was doing something. And when she got exposed, showed her whole entire ass. 
Now, that is not a way to be (laughs) an appropriate co-conspirator. But ultimately, it just boils down to how are you showing up on a consistent basis? And when you do show up, where do you place your privilege? What's the consciousness that you have about that? And how much self-educating are you doing? Are you still thinking that everybody got to teach you about how to just be a a decent human being? Because that right there is a great way for you to identify if you're a co-conspirator or an ally. When I had an agent hit me up and ask me to give them a book of a list of books to read on discrimination and whatnot uh, during that Tuesday that everybody put up black squares. I was like, so that's actually how that video with me saying, you know, I don't got the time. I'm on my trampoline. That's how that video happened. That video happened because an agent had called me and asked me to give her a list of books to read because she was taking the day off the next day along with the rest of the company to support black people. And I was like, so even in your trying to support quote unquote black people. You still want me to work for you and be in service to you by providing you with a book list. You can't, you can't get that together yourself. You can't identify, you know, some, some reading materials that are indicative of the work that needs to be done. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. I was like, this is so silly. And I, she was like, Amanda, I'm not trying to offend you. And I was like, but you have offended me. You've offended me on the basics that you even need read to read books about the discrimination of black people in America. I'm not saying that there isn't a necessity for you to read books on specific things that have happened that have been swept under the rug, right? I mean, the fact that I just learned that there's, you know, towns that were drowned, right? I didn't even know that that was a thing that actually happened. That's definitely something that folks need to educate themselves about. But I'm going to tell you, for so many of us black folks, we're going to be, we need to be educated on the same things that these white folks need to be educated on because we wasn't, nobody was learning about this shit in school. Right? But that's not what she wanted to know. She wanted books on just like discrimination. I'm like, why do I, why do, why do you not know this? Why am I your client? And you haven't already done this type of research. Why? Why do you not even have just the sensibility or awareness to know about this stuff? Huh? Like, this isn't rocket science. Like, you can look around and see, oh, this is really how shit goes. But so many folks keep themselves in a bubble. And even allies do this, right? They, they, they align themselves in a certain way, but only until it's comfortable. Once it gets uncomfortable, mm, and that's the key. The co-conspirator is not doing that. The co-conspirator is putting themselves in the uncomfortable space. The co-conspirator is saying, no, now that I know better, I must do better. Let's get another question. Let's get another question. Let's get another question. Let's do it. Okay, who is a living example of a co-conspirator? I would say Instagram um, influencer and TikToker, Jolly Good Ginger, is an example of a co-conspirator. I feel like he is somebody who, you know, makes it his business to speak truth to form and in an environment that I'm pretty sure by nature of his Southern accent does not necessarily support the way that he is speaking and the truth that he is telling. I'll tell you that. Um, You know, it's still on the fence. It's still on the fence. 
But I'm beginning to look at Merrick Garland as a possible candidate for co-conspirator. Okay? Because he's, he's out here and it looks like he's not playing around with folks. And I really am like, oh, wow. Like, you're going to actually use the DOJ for, like, real DOJ shish. Okay. And you're actually going to verbalize and say very clearly that there have been wrongful deaths by cops for black people. Because that's the thing. The co-conspirator is just going to say what it is and not going to mince the words and not going to mince the words. Because that's the thing I think we see so much of. The mincing of the words to try to still protect this level of whiteness and privilege. That's the, <laughs> whenever I see that, I'm like, mm, there that is. Still protecting Still, still, because you're still protecting a part of your ego that still aligns yourself with whiteness. Yeah, no bueno. Um, I would say another co-conspirator would be Jane Elliott. If you haven't heard Jane Elliott speak, Jane Elliott is an elder white woman who has been speaking for years about racism and doing so within the context of the classroom specifically as an educator and really creating programs that really demonstrate like in a tactile way for people in real time, the ways in which racism has given them uh, privilege with the ways in which racism has impacted the, the groups of people that they may have tricked themselves into thinking that they were equal with and the ways in which that we as a society are missing the boat on what white people are thinking. Now, she has a video where she talks about the birth dearth and that, you know, this whole mania around getting Roe v. Wade repealed is about the fact that she th there's this idea that white people are not having enough babies. And she references this book, The Birth Dearth, that was written by this Jewish guy, I think in the 80s, that speaks to the necessity to replenish the white race. Jane Elliott is a co-conspirator. Now, of course, there's so many more, but I feel like in all of those examples, you're getting to see somebody show up in a specific way that easily could have them, you know, um, in physical danger that easily could have them, you know, uh, devalued from their space of skills and expertise, but they're doing it anyway. They're doing it anyway. Co-conspirator. You know what? I would also, um, and so there's people who are also saying like folks like Tim Wise, Glennon Doyle, you know, some might even say Eminem. <laughs> I mean, because I listen, by putting D12 on, I feel like that was just co-conspirator behavior in general because he gave all them niggas paychecks. And I don't know that any of us can, can truly, can truly say that any of them was really rapping like that, like that. Um, nonetheless, I really do appreciate though that we have people like this in the mix. And when you do research about all of these movements that were happening in the 60s amongst black folks for voting rights, et cetera, there's always co-conspirators there. Always, always. And it's not something that we can look past, but it is something that they want to make sure doesn't get put forth. Because as we are seeing this effort that's being made to like erase history and to devalue teachers and to diminish education, all that really is is to say, we don't want people to be smart enough to know that we're fucking with them because then they're going to come and challenge us. That's what that is. That's all that is. So 
I really, really feel like it's important that we continue to speak loudly about who these co-conspirators are because it also needs to inform other people like this is the expectation for you. Being an ally isn't enough. This is the expectation for you. Last question. Someone says, how does being a co-conspirator contribute to generational trauma? How does it contribute to generational trauma? I think, I I, I don't believe it contributes to generational trauma. I think being a co-conspirator contributes to the dismantling of generational trauma. You know what? And I also, and I say that specifically about the generational trauma within them, because when we talk about generational trauma, shout out to Resma Menachem, who was on the show. We did Side Effects of the Quaking of America. His book is actually right here. And his first book, Grandma's Hands, uh, My Grandmother's Hands, speaks about generational trauma and the, the DNA that we hold as black people within us that carries the generational trauma of those who came before us that went through continued oppression. Well, here's the thing. White folks who have been within this psychotic mind state of racism and oppression are also traumatized. They are also experiencing generational trauma and it is continuously triggered by the individuals who continue to put forth, uh, you know, opportunities for them to run from and escape from and lie to themselves about how it's really showing up in them. Basically, we had a white guy on here, Daniel, and Daniel had been in prison and he met a black man in prison who actually ended up becoming his homeboy and really was the catalyst to him dismantling his own generational trauma that really resulted in him being a white supremacist and a MAGA guy. And when it boiled down to it, he realized that he had always known the whole time that none of that shit was actually factual. But it was like, well, that's what everyone was doing around him. And this one brother that he had met and was forced by nature of being in prison with him to talk to was able to just flip a switch in him that brought the facts and the truth to light. And he was in jail for, uh, you know, crimes related to his coke addiction. And I asked him, you know, are you going to remain clean? How do you, how are you going to remain clean? Because when he got out, he said, you know, so much of his family had disregarded him and had disowned him and his friends had disowned him because he had become friends with this brother and was making it his business as a co-conspirator to do what he could do to get this brother's sentence repealed because he realized, oh my goodness, I keep getting put in jail and getting out of jail because I'm white and my sentences are shorter. And this brother has been in jail since he was 17 years old by simply just being at the scene of a crime. And he realized like, oh, wow, like it is real. It's not a theory. So he was making it his business to try and help this brother get out. And when it boiled down to it, he said, you know, I don't think I'm going to relapse. And I genuinely don't know if he did or not. I checked in on him the other day, but I didn't get a response. But he said that he didn't think he would relapse because he felt that his addiction was actually attributed to the inner conflict that he was always having within himself about the truth that he knew in his heart, but the lie that he was living because society had tapped into that generational trauma that was within him and gave it a safe space to keep going. I just feel like when we talk about how do we challenge generational trauma, it's really about showing up different, dismantling, 
rewiring. So the same way that we have to do that as black folks and we have to find healthier ways and we have to find um, methods of undoing the dysfunction that's been, you know, just placed within us and our communities. So do the folks that have been labeled as white and taught that they were supreme and lied to. And so when they show up as a co-conspirator, they are dismantling that trauma. You know, it's time we get into the script. The script. I know I don't like to give book lists, <laughs> but on this podcast, I promise I will give book lists. Because that's what I said I was going to do. And so here's some, some, here's some references that you can get into on how to identify co-conspirators. I think it's really more so like how to, <laughs> I feel like there maybe needs to be a book list of like, who are you? <laughs> like before you consider someone a co-conspirator, like they have to like read this whole book list. <laughs> Like, I think there's that. And it's not about um, just being knowledgeable about racism. It's about being an anti-racist, okay? And that's really the biggest thing, how to be an anti-racist. And there's even book lists online on how to educate yourself to be an anti-racist. Yes, there's a book by Ibram X. Kendi, How to Be an Anti-Racist. But then one of my favorites is Renietta Lodge's Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. <laughs> then there's Ijoma Oluo's So You Want to Talk About Race, which are three great books. But I think that the truth is, when it comes down to like a co-conspirator, a lot of the work, I think, is not not necessarily the work, but I think a lot of the resources is going to come in just going and looking at who was being a supporter and how they were being a supporter in the civil rights movement of the 60s. Getting your, 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 your feet locked in to that space because it was such a tumultuous and chaotic and just intense time that so many of us feel like we can't relate to, but that that is actually what's happening right now. And it's about to get there. And so the best thing you can do is use the history that has happened to inform you about the history that's going to happen. When it comes to co-conspirators, I can say that I have met many. I have met many. In my book, Small Doses, I share a passage that my friend Allison Faircloth had posted to her Instagram after Charlottesville about like what white people need to be doing. And up until that point, like I've always considered Allison to just be like a smart, like very fair, you know, ethical person. That's my friend. We went to school together. She's from Apopka, Florida. But that was the moment that I was like, oh, Allison's a co-conspirator because she absolutely didn't need to write that. And she absolutely is from Apopka, Florida, which is like, listen, Apopka is Florida Southern redneck and Trumpville. And her putting that out there got her a lot of, you know, disdainful responses, but she felt like she needed to do that 
And I, I appreciate her doing it also because she felt like it was very imperative that she make clear like to people, I'm not y'all. I'm not y'all. And that's, and it's not okay for you to think I am. She is a very great example to me of somebody who is a co-conspirator simply because they have a whole life that they're living that they would not even have to include themselves in any of this work to, to continue living. You know, that's the truth. So many people in this country just simply don't have to care about what's going on because it's regardless, they're going to be able to skate by, whether it's because of simply just being white or they got money, et cetera. But a co-conspirator on a basic level is like, I can't sit idly by because then I'm enabling. And if I'm enabling, then I'm an accomplice. And if I'm an accomplice, then I'm just as bad as them. And I can't live with that. I can't sit with that. So shout out to Allison. I always bring up Allison. Um, I always bring up Allison. I will say this though. I mean, I, I feel like I wish I knew more co-conspirators, you know, sometimes you just don't know until it's happening until it's there. Right. Cause people can talk to you all day long and have the right politics, but once it's time to really like step up, are they, you don't know. You don't know, but you want to make sure that they are aware of the expectation. I try to make sure that everyone I'm working with closely in my circle, not try, I make sure that everyone I'm working with closely in my circle knows what my expectation of them is. You know, when it comes to being a co-conspirator and existing from an ethical place, because I, I don't want no confusion None. Because if, if, if there's confusion, then now I'm confused. And I don't want to be confused because in that moment, I got to put my efforts towards this, the fuckery. And you can't be a part of the efforts that I'm putting my energy to. But I'm so... Oh, man, these days we need the co-conspirators. Because the truth is... There really just needs to be folks who are separating themselves just by nature of like, yo, y'all are fucking wild out here and this is trash and I don't want to be a part of it. And I keep saying, I'm like, you know, black people really, we should just get to step back and watch. We should really just be watching. We shouldn't even have to be in the fight. We should just be sitting back and watching. We've been fighting. At this point, it should literally just be the people who happen to be white and these folks who keep putting every effort forth that they can to preserve the oppression of whiteness. That's who should be fighting. The co-conspirators should be conspiring amongst themselves. Because I'll tell you what, we's tired. And we can't get tired because it's a long road ahead. Nonetheless, Shout out to anybody who's listening right now and at the end of this episode is like, damn, I, I am a co-conspirator. <laughs> you made it through. You got to the end and you still ticked all the boxes. We're happy to have you here. If you didn't, then you know what you need to do. And when you come to a Smart, Funny, and Black show, that's what we want in the audience, our co-conspirators. All right? So shout out to everybody who's going to check out a Smart, Funny, and Black show in the upcoming months. You know, we got August 19th in L.A., We'll be in Brooklyn in October, on October 29th, and Atlanta on October 15th. I'm also on tour. You know, the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again tour is going and going and going. 
So I want to see you all there. And I just want to make sure that we continue to be supporting of each other and to be inspiring for each other, because that's what it's going to take to not get so tired that we burn ourselves out and that these people win. A podcast network.